Hello there. Thanks for joining us on the Christ Covenant Sermon Talkback. The Sermon Talkback is where pastors and members of Christ Covenant can process the sermon, ask questions, and more practically apply the content of the sermon. If you do have a question you would like to have dialogued, please use our text to pastor line at 404-465-1737. And if you'd like to find more resources, visit ChristCovenant.com slash resources. We hope you enjoy the discussion. Well, guys, we are in the pursue. We are pursuing Atlanta right now as a church. We're thinking about <laughs> what this looks like. Um, and, you know, this is kind of one of these things we talked about. This is staff meeting. Um, it's hard to do kind of everything we're doing um, because we do want to allow some good space in our service right now to talk about vision, to celebrate what the Lord has done. Mm-hmm. But we also obviously want to have a worship service where we sit yep. underneath the pure preaching of God's word. Um, some of these texts in Philippians, though, I think are really, really helpful. I mean, you know, maybe we should just say every time we do kind of a vision casting sermon series, we should go to one of Paul's like church epistles because they're always like really instructive to the church. And I, and I actually think that this letter to the Philippians has a lot to say to sure. us um, as Christ's covenant. And uh, the passage we looked at this week, toward the end of the book, I spent some time early on in the sermon just talking about Paul's pattern of gospel clarity and gospel application. Um, so he's, he's, he's moved from gospel clarity now to gospel application. Mm-hmm. And the gospel application that he's kind of drawing in the passage we looked at is this idea of contentment, Christian contentment, um, and then also the idea of partnership in the gospel. Uh, So those are kind of the two big points um, from yesterday's sermon. Uh, So Blake, I don't know, what are your impressions that you have after listening to it? Yeah, I mean, I thought, you know, addressing discontentment is something that we as a church as Americans always need to hear. Um, I think our whole culture is built around this, this idea of comparison. You need more, get what you want now. You know, we live in an Amazon America kind of a time where we have like a discontent, discontent mindset that we, that we live under and, and that we're pushed towards. And so I think as often as the church can hear, Sermons on gratitude, that we have all that we need in the Lord and contentment, then I think is a great thing. And I appreciated your um, reminding us of the misapplication of 413. I can do all things through him who strengthens right, me. Yeah. You know, and that's not that's a, like the American way to interpret that verse, right? <laughs> it's like it's not a blanket, you know, God is going to help me succeed as I bench 300 pounds. Right. It's actually the opposite of what Paul's or, trying to say. <laughs> We've taken that verse to mean the opposite of what Paul's trying to say with it. Yeah, that's right. He, he's like, don't be satisfied, you know, by not being the best team in the league. Uh, because you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. You can get yeah. more with Christ who strengthens you. And obviously that's like the exact opposite of what Paul's trying to say to the Philippians there. That's um, right. And again, I don't know if Tebow, I don't really know how Tebow's saying it. Maybe Tebow is saying like, I don't care if I win or lose. Um, but how I've heard it mm-hmm. be said in sports, how I've used it as uh, a Christian athlete when I was like in high school <laughs> was like, guys, like if <laughs> right. Christ is with us, 
we, we can win, yeah, you know. That's right. But and, it's actually a better point that Paul is making. No matter if I, you know, no matter in the difficult times or the fantastic times, I can succeed mm-hmm. because I'm in Christ. Because I, I really already have succeeded right. in Christ. Christ has won. Yeah. yeah. And, and there's like a, there's just a trust in the Lord, right? That, that God has supplied all that you need for the day. And I think that's something that we lose sight of so easily um, is we don't trust that God knows our needs and and fulfills them and gives us uh, what we need. So like when we're discontent, I think it says more about how we're viewing God in the moment than, you know, how we're viewing things, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Or maybe it's telling us something, you know, large about both of those things in our minds. Mm-hmm. And I think, and again, we only did 10 through 20, I guess, properly uh, in the passage, but I, I was kind of anchoring, I guess, the secret of contentment and if you look at the text, I mean, you know, the chapter and verse kind of can confuse you here, but he, he almost starts a new section in verse four. He's, you know, he says, here's Syntyche, here's Yodia. But then he says, kind of new thought, rejoice in the Lord mm-hmm. always. Like, where is contentment found? Where is life found as a Christian? It's when your joy is in the Lord. And then, he, you know, famously in verse uh, six, therefore... You don't have to be anxious, right? You don't have to be um, worried about everything all the time. You can just make your requests known to God. And then in verse 8, I think he's saying, how do you stay in this? Well, think about God. Like, think about the things of God. That's mm-hmm. what's going to anchor you. And then in verse 9, he says, basically, like, carry out the Christian disciplines. What mm-hmm. you have learned, what you have received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. And then that gets it into, this is what I do, and this is why... You know, I can be abound and be brought low. This is why I can have much or have little and still be content. I can mm-hmm. I can still be content because of the strength that Christ has given me. Yeah, that's so. good. One of the things I like to do, Jason, is on nice mornings like this or nice days like this is go for a run. Oof. Did you go nope. today? I didn't today. I worked out this little, morning little with, a, with a guy from a church. But um, anyways, I like to go for a run and I like to listen to sermons when I run. Highly recommend it. It's a Me great too. time to listen to sermons it is. or country music. Okay. Mm-hmm. Or country music. But I have to disagree there. But sermons. Sermons are great. Awesome. What, what do you listen to when you run? Sermons. Not, no music? Almost exclusively sermons. Yeah. Wow. I, that's amazing. I love listening to Tony Evans. Great My preacher. mom raised me like listening to Tony yeah. Evans on the radio. I still listen to Tony Evans. And on Friday on a run, he, he was talking about gratitude and contentment actually in the, the sermon series that he was in. And, um, you know, he's so good at like one-liners. He was talking about yeah, how, yeah, yeah. how we beg God for things. We just beg God for, to supply all of our needs. And then we sit around the, the dinner table and we complain about man, right? So he's basically saying, mm-hmm. you beg God to supply your needs. And then you grumble about everyone around you who's coming against your needs. And yeah, I, I just yeah. think like mm-hmm. that... Um, and, and Abby and I, we talk a lot about the dinner table, right? The dinner table is the place where you have an opportunity to, to be unbelievably discontent. And what does that look like? Well, this hard thing and that hard thing and this difficulty with this person and that difficulty. And all the while, you know who's sitting around looking? My kids. Yep. Yeah. And it's like, you know what? If you... And, and I literally just told Abby this. I was like, we, we really have to be careful. We work against that. Like we sit down at the table and we say, 
what are you grateful for for yeah. today? And then Cannon yeah, asked yeah. LOS, what are you grateful for for today? But um, one of the things we don't want whenever our kids are like 28, 32, however, you know, <laughs> I'm, which is how old I am now. I, I don't want them sitting around the dinner, dinner table complaining about their mom and dad, you know. Mm. But but the reality is, is if you set a culture of complaining and discontentment in the home, it's going to flesh itself out. Your kids are going to pick it up. They're going to then be complaining about you one day and it hits close to home. Yeah. Um, I just think just as a warning to our church, um, it's good. Be, be careful. Hmm. Lest you grow in con- discontentment. Hmm. It's easy to be discontent. It's easy to complain. It, it's interesting. Okay. So to that point, we talked about this yesterday a little bit. So gospel clarity, Philippians two, Christ's humility, Christ has emptied himself, becoming mm-hmm. obedient to death, even death on a cross. Then verse 12 of chapter two, um, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Verse 13, for it is God who works with you to will and to work for his good pleasure. So you've been saved. Christ has uh humbled himself and he's brought you to life and, mm-hmm. and and he's now exalted and you'll be exalted with him. Now you got to work out your salvation with fear and shriveling. And what is the next thought that Paul has? Do everything without grumbling or complaining or just putting, as the ESV says, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you will shine as lights in the world. That's right. Yeah, isn't that that interesting? That's the first place he goes. That's right. He says, look, what is the whole world doing? Complaining. They're discontent. They're disputting things. And disputting is putting things out of their place, putting things of little importance. It's actually a pretty good word Mm -hmm. from the ESV. Putting things of little importance in place of prominent importance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but he's good. saying, you work out your salvation. That's right. You remember who you are, which is really what we were trying to say yesterday. I should, I should have used that passage. Um, yeah, that's good. And, and in Romans 1, again, a Paul, Pauline epistle, mm-hmm. like what is the thing that makes them, the people that he's talking about, without excuse, verse 20. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him or give thanks to him. They did not have an attitude of gratitude they did not see God as Amen. one who would, yeah. who would supply all of their needs. Right. Okay, so let's let's shift gears a little bit here. There's a lot I want to talk about with you guys. So partnership. One of the things I said yesterday is that contentment leads to partnership, right? If if you're not content, if you're if you're only about yourself and building your brand and meeting your needs, you'll never really be generous, right? It's kind of like, I'm generous as long as like everything in my world is in place. If anything is out of place, it becomes all about the Jason show really quick, right? Mm -hmm. And so, but, you know, and so I think that that obviously points to my own sinfulness. It's not, I'm not rejoicing in the Lord. I'm rejoicing in, to use Jonah here as an example, my shade tree, right? I'm, I'm rejoicing in something I have and not rejoicing in God and in his plan. But I think when you can find contentment in the Lord, then when times are good and when times are bad, you can be a really good partner. That's right. And you can you can actually have a, a vision for your life and for what God is doing that's bigger than just, you know, what's right in front of you. Yeah. So one of the questions I had for you just related to partnership, I thought that was such a helpful point. You know, we we our our contentment 
leads to this partnership. One of the questions that came to mind was, how would you define partnership? Obviously, Paul is uh, talking about a specific partnership here, you know, financial gifts to another church, um, supporting him. But how would you define that? And then maybe we flesh out you know, what it, what does that mean and are there differences in gospel partnership? Yeah, th- there's there's kind of like two things here. So there's a unconscious gospel partnership, right? And, and that is, you know, somebody was mentioning, we talked about it in staff meeting, when they heard George and Abir uh, in this service, they were really excited about that because it just was evidence to them, okay, here's people, different culture, different place, totally different, and they love Jesus like I do. And it strengthened their faith. Mm-hmm. So there was like a, what I would call like a subconscious partnership going on. Mm-hmm. It was as if like, they were like, oh, those are my teammates. Those are people yeah. that are, we're on the same team, even though there's never like been a formal connection between them, yeah. if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. But then there's conscious partnership. And this is what I would call like great commission, obedience partnership and saying, okay, I want to see the gospel advance in this place or that place, but I realize my own limitations. How can I partner with people to see the gospel advance? And and again, I, one of the things that I talked about yesterday, and I want to talk more about this later, is what I would call unnecessary divisions in our partnerships. But then I do think that there are necessary divisions mm-hmm. in our partnerships. So we, we, in a sense, you know, Al Mohler, who preached for us a couple weeks ago in 2004, it was one of the first things I ever read by him, mm-hmm. you know, way back when yeah. I was in college. Um, he wrote this article about theological triage. And basically his thing was like, okay, there's some like level one issues. If you deny the Trinity, for example, if you deny the resurrection, um, which some people out there would say, I am a Christian, but I don't believe in the bodily resurrection of Jesus. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, if you deny those things, I can't, I can't in good conscience affirm that you're actually in Christ, right? Your understanding of salvation and soteriology and how God saves somebody is very different than mine, right? Um, or different than I would say the Bible uh, gives testimony to. So I can't say that you are actually a Christian, even though you may take the name Christian. So that's a level one. Are they a Christian or not? The level two is, can we have fellowship in the same church together? And so this is where these are brothers and sisters in Christ, but we may not be able to be in the same church with one another. So, so for example, some of my very best friends in the world, some of the people I love um, most deeply in the world um, are very, very committed Presbyterians, um, in which case they don't practice uh, believers baptism, or they baptize infants, um, and they don't baptize an infant once they've made a profession of faith yeah. in Christ as an adult. Well, I just believe that's such an important part of the life of the church that we're we would affirm one another as Christians, but we're dividing over that. Mm-hmm. Now, that's where the partnerships kind of have layers. Like if Christchurch Prez, where one of my old buddies, my old lab partner from high school, Drew Jones is the executive pastor, saw him at lunch the other day, and I love Drew. Um, and if Christchurch plants a church in, let's see, one of the cities that we're trying to plant churches in is Paris. If Christchurch decides to plant a church in Paris, I'm going to rejoice in that. I'm going to be happy about that because 
there needs to be a more faithful gospel witness in Paris. However, I'm not going to be as happy about that as if a church that is more theologically aligned with us is going to be. So mm-hmm. there, there are some necessary divisions even within the sphere of Christianity. But there's also what I would call some unnecessary divisions. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where kind of the world can creep in and try to tear the church apart in unhelpful ways. So let me use kind of a, an older example and a newer example, right? Churches split in the 1990s over style of worship music. Okay, this was kind of the old mm-hmm. worship wars mm-hmm. theme, right? And so that's an unnecessary division, right? A church should not split as long as those songs are theologically rich and true, should not split over style. Churches have split over like, are we going to build this building? Are we going to build a gymnasium? Are we going to do this or that? Those are unnecessary divisions Mm -hmm. in, I would say, a church world, right? And what's happening right now, I'm I'm seeing a lot of churches are dividing over politics, right? I can't be in a church with people that vote for this person. I can't be in a church with people that vote for this person. Or I can't be in partnership church to church with churches that have people that support this candidate or that person. So when that happens, I mean, Satan wins. I mean, that that is that is yeah. that is the enemy beating the church. That's that's a worldly thing that's creating an unnecessary division in terms of the partnership the gospel partnerships that we must have. So that that's what I was warning against yesterday. It's not that we can just partner with anybody that takes on the name of Christ. Uh, we, we have to be a little bit careful there. There's, right. there. There are necessary divisions, but there's a lot of unnecessary divisions. Um, and, I'll, and to be honest with you guys, most of the time that I see churches splitting and dividing is, is over unnecessary yeah. divisions. It's like, the kingdom divided over earthly things. That's it. That's yeah. even so unnecessary. And, and what does that flow from? That flows from we're not rejoicing in the Lord. That's right. We're rejoicing in the worship style we like, or we're rejoicing in political power, or we're rejoicing in... And I don't think people would see it that way, right? But that is the application of what's happening. Mm-hmm. Um, and so again, that, go, that gets back to gospel clarity and gospel application. If your gospel's not clear... Your application will take you in a ton of different directions. That's right. So, hmm. that's yeah. good. I, I do want to kind of talk about this unnecessary division in churches. Like, what would you say? What would you say to the guy um, that is politically frustrated? I don't think it's wrong to be politically frustrated. So, mm-hmm. let me hear that. And again, I don't think it's wrong. You know, somebody said this week. You know, it seems like you don't care about politics. No, I do care about politics. These things are very important. What you hear me saying on Sunday morning is me saying there, there's something bigger than politics going on here. It's not that those things are unimportant. They are important. But there's just a bigger kingdom at stake here. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that Christians in that big K kingdom, the kingdom of Christ, should be able to talk about their disagreements about earthly matters uh, in a hopefully biblical and helpful way without getting angry with one another. So that's that's what I've been trying to push the church toward. But, but what would you say to the person that 
is frustrated in the kind of political place that they're in? I mean, how would you advise that person? I mean, I think the the first thing you have to do, and I think Paul does this very clearly, Jesus talks about this, is that those who are in political power over you are actually placed there by God. Okay? So God is sovereign, uh, which means like you can like it, you can hate it, but don't let that don't let that dominate your mind, right? There, there's a good God who's bringing his good purposes to life, even through the hard and difficult things of this world. So first and foremost, like trust in him. Now, I think we do have like a unique American um, issue, right? Where, you know, for instance, if you were, I mean, I, I, if you were part of a total monarchy and when I mean a total monarchy, I mean like, you know, no election, no, no yeah. election. Like just say you were part of a tribe of, of Indians and there was a clear chief. You do what the chief says. You, you, you don't get an opportunity to speak into that in the way that Americans have an opportunity to speak into yeah, it. You have not been given the same stewardship. That's right. And so I think like with this, I, I, I think we can be careful. I say this like, your stewardship is important. We all have an important role to play as Americans. We are the government. That is the beautiful idea of America. We are the government. We elect our officials. They represent us. That is an amazing thing. But again, it, you can't overemphasize your allegiance to a political system and let that undermine the reality that God is sovereign and in control. Like, right, it, Which right. means like... If Joe Biden wins, God is in control. And if Donald Trump wins, God is in control. Now, I understand the perceived implications of, of this. And, and I think we probably overemphasize a lot of the, uh, the implications of a political election. But I, I would just say, like, first and foremost, just read the New Testament. Right. Yeah. And realize that political governments all throughout history have been corrupt they will continue to be corrupt. That doesn't mean we shouldn't fight for a more perfect union and all of that. But there, there's corruption, and that's not your hope. You, you, you're not looking for an earthly deliverer here. When the New Testament is surprisingly silent, from my perspective, on these, these issues, like how do, how do you work it out? when you're under an oppressive, you know, government, he says it, you know, there's basically like two places that he talks about the government, the role of government, but there's an assumed unity where Christians are working out those differences, like differences of opinion in the church and that the gospel supersedes that. And there's, there's the gospel clarity that provides this place where we can come and worship Christ together and work these things out and not divide over them. Right. I think that, you know, when, when you're drunk, okay, sadness is like mega sadness and anger is like anger, uh, mega mm -hmm, anger, mm -hmm. right? That's drunk minded. Mm -hmm. But the Bible commends Christians to be sober minded, yeah, right? And so I think that we're in a drunk minded kind of world right now. Hmm where like any little thing like just sets people off in a mega way or any fear, it becomes like, yeah, this is the scariest thing that's ever happened or this is the worst thing that could possibly happen. And so, and so I, I think my 
urge to Christians kind of in this moment is just be sober-minded, right? And, and, and when you meet someone that maybe disagrees with you politically, you know, the, the, the question that I think you should always ask is like, what, what, why are they disagreeing or what are they saying to me? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and so why are they, you know, it could be that they're believing a certain thing because they really care about the biblical, um, you know, idea of advocacy for someone who can advocate for themselves, or they really care about the biblical idea of, uh, of personal dignity or of human dignity. Right. And so it's not that they're so bad. They, they actually care about something that you probably care with. Why are they, why have they made the conclusion that they've made? And another thing that I think that Christians should say is like, what are they asking me or what are they saying? Um, like for example, this is coming with like the black lives matter movement, you know? So, um, a lot of Christians be like, Hey, do you know what black lives matter as an organization stands for this and this and this and this is the thing is that if somebody in your neighborhood says like, are you in favor of black lives matter? They don't know that like they're rejecting the, you know, the family or that they're this queer affirming kind of work. They don't know. They don't know that they just, they're just like, there's a movement that's, that's talking about oppression that black people face. So, so just know what question are they even asking you right now? And I think in a drunk minded world, we can get kind of so set off by those things so quickly. And I just think my urge to Christians, maybe in particular this week, a true sign of contentment <laughs> is that you're sober minded because your identity is not in the temporal and short things of this world. But in the, in the eternal things of Christ, and that yes. yeah, that's the whole thing of are you are you taking your cues more from culture or Christ, or as you know during our politics kingdom uh, series, are you looking to the kingdom of God? Or are you looking to the kingdom of man and acting at, you know in response to that? Because we live in a world of inflamed rhetoric and tweetable quotes you know like twitter is the place where we work out our arguments yeah. and it's like name me a <laughs> a worse place yeah. where nuanced argument and constructive conversation can happen right it's terrible and but if i take my cues from that then to your point we we are we're we're quickly incited to debate and argue and criticize and you know stake out our positions and and that's yep. not the way of christ that's right and and going back we can kind of close with this blake's point earlier do all things without dr- grumbling or disputing putting things of little value that's actually a really good word mm. i like complaining but maybe disputing is a better word i wonder what the greek is there but anyway do everything without disputing that you may be blameless and innocent Children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked, uh, uh, a crooked and yeah. Twitter generation <laughs> or <laughs> twisted generation rather. And then it says this, among whom you will shine as lights in the world. So Christ's covenant and friends who are listening to this, be sober minded, be sober minded this week and you'll shine. You'll be like a light in the midst of this crazy generation that we live in. So it's good. Well, for Blake Rogers and Jordan Coughlin, I'm Jason Dees. Thank you guys for listening. <laughs>